Chapter Six of Marriage, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Marriage by Susan Edmonstone Ferrier. Chapter Six. What choice to choose for delicacy best, Milton. Of what nature were the remarks passed in the parlour upon the new-married couple has not reached the writer of these memoirs with as much exactness as the foregoing circumstances, but they may in part be imagined from the sketch already given of the characters which formed the Glenfern party. The conciliatory indulgence of Mrs. Douglas, when aided by the good-natured Miss Grizzy, doubtless had a favourable effect on the irritated pride but short-lived acrimony of the old gentleman. Certain it is that, before the evening concluded, they appeared all restored to harmony, and retired to their respective chambers in hopes of beholding a more propitious morrow. Who has not perused sonnets, odes, and speeches in praise of that balmy blessing sleep, from the divine effusions of Shakespeare, down to the drowsy notes of newspaper poets, yet cannot too much be said in its commendation. Sweet is its influence on the careworn eyes to tears accustomed. In its arms the statesman forgets his harassed thoughts. The weary and the poor are blessed with its charms. And conscience, even conscience, is sometimes soothed into silence while the sufferer sleeps but nowhere perhaps is its influence more happily felt than in the heart oppressed by the harassing accumulation of petty ills. Like a troop of locusts making up by their number and their stings what they want in magnitude. Mortified pride in discovering the fallacy of our own judgment, to be ashamed of what we love, yet still to love, are feelings most unpleasant, and though they assume not the dignity of deep distress, yet philosophy has scarce any power to soothe their worrying, incessant annoyance. Douglas was glad to forget himself in sleep. He had thought a vast deal that day, and of unpleasant subjects, more than the whole of his foregoing life would have produced. If he did not curse the fair object of his imprudence, at least he cursed his own folly and himself, and these were his last waking thoughts. But Douglas could not repose as long as the seven sleepers, and in consequence of having retired sooner to bed than he was accustomed to do, he waked at an early hour of the morning. The wonderful activity which people sometimes feel when they have little to do with their bodies and less with their minds caused him to rise hastily and dress, hoping to pick up a new set of ideas by virtue of his locomotive powers. On descending to the dining parlour, he found his father seated at the window, carefully perusing a pamphlet written to illustrate the principle, Let Nothing Be Lost, and containing many sage and erudite directions for the composition and dimensions of that ornament to a gentleman's farmyard and a cottager's front door, eclept, in the language of the country, a midden, with the signification of which we would not for the world shock the more refined feelings of our southern readers. Many were the inquiries about dear Lady Juliana. Hoped she had rested well. Hoped they had found the bed comfortable, etc., etc. These inquiries were interrupted by the laird, 
who requested his son to take a turn with him while breakfast was getting ready, that they might talk over past events and new plans, that he might see the new planting on the hill, the draining of the great moss, with other agricultural concerns, which we shall omit, not having the same power of commanding attention for our readers as the laird had from his hearers. After repeated summonses, and many inquiries from the impatient party already assembled at the breakfast-table, Lady Juliana made her appearance, accompanied by her favourites, whom no persuasions of her husband could prevail upon her to leave behind. As she entered the room, her olfactory nerves were smote with gales, not of Araby the blessed, but of old cheese and herrings, with which the hospitable board was amply provided. The ladies having severally exchanged the salutations of the morning, Miss Nicky commenced the operation of pouring out tea, while the laird laid a large piece of herring on her ladyship's plate. "'Good heavens! What am I to do with this?' exclaimed she. "'Do take it away, or I shall faint!' "'Brother! Brother!' cried Miss Grizzy in a tone of alarm. "'I beg you won't place any unpleasant object before the eyes of our dear niece.' I declare. Pray, was it the sight or the smell of the beast that shocked you so much, my dear Lady Juliana? I'm sure I wish to goodness Lady Maclaughlan was come. Mr. Douglas, or the Major as he was styled, immediately rose and pulled the bell. Desire my gig to be got ready directly, said he. The ants drew up stiffly, and looked at each other without speaking but the old gentleman expressed his surprise that his son should think of leaving them so soon. "'May we inquire the reason of this sudden resolution?' "'At length,' said Miss Jackie, in a tone of stifled indignation. "'Certainly, if you are disposed to hear it, it is because I find that there is company expected.' The three ladies turned up their hands and eyes in speechless horror. "'Is it that virtuous woman, Lady Maclaughlan, you would shun, nephew?' demanded Miss Jackie. "'It is that insufferable woman I would shun,' replied her nephew, with a heightened colour and a violence very unusual with him. The good Miss Grizzy drew out her pocket-handkerchief, while Mrs. Douglas vainly endeavoured to silence her husband and avert the rising storm. "'Dear Douglas,' whispered his wife in a tone of reproach. "'Oh, pray, let him go on,' said Miss Jackie, almost choking under the effort she made to appear calm. Let him go on. Lady Maclaughlan's character, luckily, is far above the reach of calumny. Nothing that Mr. Archibald Douglas can say will have power to change our opinions, or, I hope, to prejudice his brother and Lady Juliana against this most exemplary virtuous woman, a woman of family, of fortune, of talents, of accomplishments, a woman of unblemished reputation of the strictest morals, sweetest temper, charming heart, delightful spirits, so charitable. Every year she gives fifty flannel petticoats to the old people of the parish. Then such a wife as she is, sobbed out Miss Grizzy. She has invented I don't know how many different medicines for Sir Sampson's complaint, and makes a point of his taking some of them every day. But for her, I'm sure he would have been in his grave long ago. She's doing all she can to send him there, as she has done many a poor wretch already, with her infernal compositions, 
Here Miss Grizzy sank back in her chair, overcome with horror, and Miss Nicky let fall the teapot, the scalding contents of which discharged themselves upon the unfortunate Psyche, whose yells mingling with the screams of its fair mistress for a while drowned even Miss Jacky's oratory. "'Oh, what shall I do?' cried Lady Juliana, as she bent over her favourite. "'Do send for a surgeon. Pray, Henry, fly!' Do fetch one directly, or she will die, and it would quite kill me to lose my darling. Do run, dearest Harry. My dear Julia, how can you be so absurd? There's no surgeon within twenty miles of this. No surgeon within twenty miles, exclaimed she, starting up. How could you bring me to such a place? Good God, these dear creatures may die. I may die myself before I can get any assistance. Don't be alarmed, my dearest niece, said the good Miss Grizzy. We are all doctors here. I understand something of physic myself, and our friend Lady Maclaughlan, who I dare say will be here presently, is perfect mistress of every disease of the human frame. Clap a cold potato to the brutste, cried the old laird gruffly. I've a box of her scald ointment that will cure it in a minute. "'If it don't cure it, will kill,' said Mr. Douglas, with a smile. "'Brother,' said Miss Jacky, rising with dignity from her chair, and waving her hand as she spoke, "'Brother, I appeal to you to protect the character of this most amiable, respectable matron from the insults and calumny your son thinks proper to load it with. Sir Sampson Maclaughlan is your friend, and it therefore becomes your duty to defend his wife.' "'Troth, but I hae enough to do if I am to stand up for all my friends' wives,' said the old gentleman. "'But however, Archie, you are to blame. Lady Maclaughlan is a very decent woman, at least as far as I ken. Though she's a little free in the gab, and out of respect to my old friend Sir Sampson, tis my desire that you should remain here to receive him, and that you treat both him and his lady discreetly.' This was said in too serious a tone to be disputed, and his son was obliged to submit. The ointment, meanwhile, having been applied to Psyche's paw, peace was restored and breakfast recommenced. "'I declare our dear niece has not tasted a morsel,' observed Miss Nicky. "'Bless me! Here's charming barley-meal scones,' said one, thrusting a plateful of them before her. "'Here's tempting peas bonnocks.' interposed another, and oat-cakes. I'm sure your ladyship never saw such cakes. I can't eat any of those things, said their delicate niece, with an air of disgust. I should like some muffin and chocolate. You forget you're not in London, my love, said her husband reproachfully. No, indeed, I do not forget it. Well, then, give me some toast, with an air of languid condescension. "'Unfortunately, we happen to be quite out of loaf-bread at present,' said Miss Nicky. "'But we've sent to Drimsony for some. They bake excellent bread at Drimsony.' "'Is there nothing within the bounds of possibility you would fancy, Julia?' asked Douglas. "'Do think, love.' "'I think I should like some grouse, or a beefsteak, if it was very nicely done,' returned her ladyship in a languishing tone. "'Beefsteak,' repeated Miss Grizzy. Beefsteak, responded Miss Jacky. Beefsteak, reverberated Miss Nicky. 
After much deliberation and consultation amongst the three spinsters, it was at length unanimously carried that the lady's whim should be indulged. "'Only think, sisters,' observed Miss Grizzy in an undertone, "'what reflections we should have to make upon ourselves if the child was to resemble a moor-fowl.' "'Or have a face like a raw beefsteak,' said Miss Nicky. These arguments were unanswerable, and a smoking steak and a plump moor-fowl were quickly produced, of which Lady Juliana partook, in company with her four-footed favorites. End of chapter 6 Recording by Patty Cunningham